Let's stand one more time for the reading of the scripture, Acts chapter 8. Everybody's got your Bible. Verse 26. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot read Esaias or Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. We'll read some more in a little bit, but uh, it's a very familiar passage for most of us. And we're just going to continue tonight, um, and I'm not sure how long, but tonight talking about personal evangelism, witnessing, preaching the gospel, how God uses us, how God wants to use us, how God gives us opportunities um, to witness. And I heard a real powerful witness given Monday afternoon to the uh, female chaplain at the hospital about how Jesus Christ changes people's lives. I think she needed to hear it. So... God gives us opportunities to witness, to preach the gospel, to talk to people. And so the purpose of this is just to kind of keep reinforcing this in our mind. Habits, habits are hard to break. Habits sometimes are hard to make. And you don't just sometimes change behavior just because you think you should. But, but sometimes if we just keep focusing on something, it just has a way of making a greater impact. I'd be very concerned if I were you and I kept hearing the same truth week after week for weeks and it didn't budge you, then uh, I'd be concerned about that, right? We, we ought to be letting the Word of God work in our hearts. So let's pray as we begin. Father, we thank you, Father, for this time to study your Word together. Thank you for this great book before us. And thank you for every word of it. It is divinely inspired, we know. It's miraculously preserved for us. We're grateful. We know it has great power. It's quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And we want to receive with meekness the engrafted word tonight. We pray that it work in our lives. Help us tonight to take your word seriously, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe seated. The first thing I want us to think about this evening is in this matter of witnessing or soul winning, if you want to call it that, or preaching the gospel, uh, is the work of the Holy Spirit in evangelism. And we see it in verse 29 where it says, Then the Spirit, capital S Spirit, then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. 
So we see the Holy Spirit's involvement in this great witnessing opportunity, this divine appointment, because he was led by the Spirit to a man in the desert who was sitting in a chariot reading the Bible. Um, isn't that an amazing thing? And, and it tells us a lot. It tells us how active God is in getting the gospel to people. It tells us how um, God wants to use us and how God has a place for us. It says the Holy, if you look there in verse 29, it says, The Spirit said unto Philip, now, the Spirit of God is not going to speak to you audibly. Don't think for a moment. It'd be nice sometimes. We think it'd be nice if God would just say out loud, go give that person a track. But I've never had him do that. There have been a few occasions when it was so real and clear, he might as well said it out loud. But he doesn't say it out loud. I don't hear voices. Um, don't even hear my own wife's voice a lot of times. But anyway, it's another subject for another time. But um, the, Spirit of God, the Spirit of God wants to lead us. And so one of the things that comes out in this, and I'll say this again, this just shows us how much God wants to get the gospel to people. And that was true in the first century, but it's just equally true today. Now, so we see the work of the Spirit in Philip's life. We're not just talking about in the life of the, of the lost man. The Spirit of God was working in him too. We'll see that in a moment. But the Holy Spirit is working in the life of the witness. Right? He's leading him. Now, to, great, to appreciate that, we need to think about the fact, and let's turn to the left just a couple of pages. We'll come back to Acts chapter 9 in a moment. But go to Acts chapter 6. Because we see that Philip... This is not the first mention of Philip in Acts chapter 8, nor the second. Um, Philip was a spiritual man. And just to refresh our memory, in Acts chapter 6, there's a conflict going on, some murmuring in the church in Jerusalem. There were some people that felt like they were being neglected, and the disciples, the apostles had to decide what to do about it. They could take themselves away from their, their ministry focus or they could go do it themselves. But they believed that there was a better plan. And that better plan was, let's look for some spiritual men in the church who could do this. And so, just a couple of references. Look in verse 3, if you would, of Acts chapter 6, where they said, Wherefore, brethren, look... Ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. Find seven men full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom whom we may appoint over this business. And he said, in verse 4, we'll give ourselves to prayer in the ministry of the Word. In verse 5, he gives the names of those seven men. And right almost in the middle of that list is the name Philip, in the middle of that verse. So what do we know about Philip? Philip was not an apostle. He was not a pastor. Philip was a man in the church in Jerusalem who was known as being a spirit-filled man, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. You know, I can't teach this without thinking in my mind. If I had to list men in our church that I knew were full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, what names would come to mind? This is not just men who come to church 
not just men who uh, teach a class, it's men who are full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. Well, the man, one of the men's name that came to mind was Philip. Philip, and they chose Philip because that's the kind of man that he was. And, uh, and, he, and he certainly proved to be, he was a spiritual man. And, uh, and then look in Acts chapter 8, another mention of him in the first part of the chapter. First part of chapter 8, there's a great persecution in Jerusalem. And verse 4 says, as a result of this great persecution, Saul was right at the center of it, later to be converted and called Paul. As a result of this persecution, verse 4, it says, Therefore they were scattered abroad, they that were scattered abroad, went everywhere preaching the word. So they scattered out from Jerusalem because of the intense persecution. And verse 5 says, Then Philip, here he is again, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. So here again, Philip. Not, a, not an apostle, not a pastor, a man who is a spiritual man. He goes uh, north to the city of Samaria, and he begins to preach. That's about 35 to 40 miles north of the city of Jerusalem. And there it says, he's, he's ministering, look in verse 5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And there's a lot to be said about that. Samaria, as you know, so the Samaritans, remember this from the Gospels, John chapter 4, the woman at the well, a woman of Samaria. Jesus was talking to this Samaritan woman. They were looked down upon by the Jews. There was a barrier, kind of a racial barrier, conflict, ethnic barrier between them. And so Philip, though, he's breaking through some of those barriers. He's going into up to Samaria, and he's preaching the gospel. He's preaching Christ. That's what it says in verse 5. He preached Christ unto them. And, and God is really using him. So here he is. He's ministering to people in Jerusalem, persecution. He goes out, and now he's preaching the gospel, and God is really using him. Matter of fact, look in chapter 8 and verse 12. It says... But when they believed Philip, preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, and were baptized, both men and women. People are being saved and baptized. So Philip's greatly used. Can you get that? You see that? He's, he's a greatly used man. God's using him. And a persecution caused him to flee, but there they found a, a ministry. So in Acts chapter 8, that's where we're reading... Back to verse 26 where we began. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. So here he is in a successful ministry. He's preaching. People are being saved. People are being baptized. God is doing a great, great work. And then the Lord said to him, Go down to the way, the way, that's the road, the street, the, the journey from Jerusalem to Gaza. And that's all he said to him. Just go down there. 
Isn't that something? And he, and he obeyed. He quickly did it. Now, if, if you're looking at a map, right here is Jerusalem, okay? And he went 35 or 40 miles north of Jerusalem to Samaria. And now God says go to Gaza, which means he comes back 35 or 40 miles to Jerusalem and then goes southeast, uh, southwest from Jerusalem down about 50 miles toward Gaza, out in the desert. So he's, he's backtracking. God, he went up, God's using him up here, but now he's going 80 miles. Um, and by the way, I, I remind you this of often, 80 miles to us is nothing, right? You're gonna, 80 miles is driving to Jeff City. You get there an hour and a half, hour and 40 minutes, whatever. Eight, 80 miles... At, let's just say it's 90 miles. If he walked a pretty good pace, he'd walk about three miles an hour. So you figure it up. It's a 30-hour walk. You know, my wife and I just walked the other day. We, were, we were walking, weren't walking really fast. We, were, we walk about three miles an hour. And uh, we ha sometimes we can walk four miles an hour, but we were just kind of being leisurely about it. But the point is... To you, for you to travel 80 miles walking is a pretty good journey, right? And so, notice what it says in, in verse 26. It says, The angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. Go down there in the desert. And verse the first part of verse 27 is so... So really refreshing. It says, and he arose and went. Now he didn't know where he's going. He didn't know why he's going down there. He didn't know what it was going to be. All he knew was two things. He was leaving a ministry where God was really using him, number one. Number two, he was going somewhere he knew nothing about, but God told him to go. Now all this has to do with how the Spirit works in people's lives. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I'd like for the Lord to work in my life like that, right? Direct me. He's got a plan for me. He's going to use us. And, and, and God is no respecter of persons. God wouldn't put this in here so we could be frustrated because God couldn't use us. God wants to use us as well. And so, so this, is a, this is a big step. And I want to say this. It's an inconvenient assignment. It definitely was. Because he had gone all the way up north. Now he's going backtracking, plus another uh, several days south, doubling back, and he has no instructions. But he immediately, verse 27, he immediately obeyed. And let's read on from verse 27. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia. Now, think about this. He's, he's traveled now from Samaria a good 80, 90 miles. Let's just say 90 miles. Can you imagine um, traveling 90 miles into the desert and finding the very person that God wanted you to find? Isn't it pretty amazing? Don't you think that's pretty amazing? We read this like it's no big deal. It is a big deal. This, just, this is a pretty amazing deal to me. And he finds this man, it says in verse 27, a man of Ethiopia. Now, here, here's, this man is not at home either. 
He's from Ethiopia is in, on, the Af- uh, on the African continent. And, th- and we don't know exactly where he was in Ethiopia, but this man was about 1,500 miles from home. Isn't that something? That, y'all don't even look like you're impressed. I'm pretty impressed that God put these people together. We think God can't help us find our way home sometimes. Behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority. He's not just a man, but he's a man of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. He's in the government. He's a part of the government, uh, probably the secretary of the treasury, in under the queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure. He's in charge of all of the queen's treasure, her her resources, her finances. Important, very important man. And here's another detail about him in verse 27. Had come to Jerusalem for to worship. Was returning. So here's a man who traveled a great distance, 1,500 miles or so, to Jerusalem. And now he's traveling back home. He was returning and sitting in his chariot read Isaiah the prophet, or Isaiah the prophet. Now, this is something that I don't know the answer to, but I think it's a good question. And that is, what would it take for a man in his day to own a book of the Bible, a scroll with the book of Isaiah on it? It's not like you go down to the bookstore and you buy a Bible. I mean, these are handwritten by scribes, um, the, whole, the book of Isaiah, and he's reading in the book of Isaiah, got his scroll out, and he's reading from Isaiah the prophet. And so Philip sees this man. Why? Because he was directed by the Holy Spirit to come out here and talk to this man. And the Spirit, and, and told him, look in verse 29, then the Spirit, we're talking about the Spirit's work in evangelism. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. In other words, there's the guy I sent you down here to talk to. Right there. Go join yourself to this chariot. So imagine that. And um, I did a little, you know, I did a little research today on how fast a chariot travels. It's hard to find information about that. But they don't travel much faster than really a basic a guy could walk. Not much faster. I mean, if they're racing chariots, then maybe 30 miles an hour. Up to 30 miles an hour you could travel. But they don't travel like that across the desert. But it's, it probably took this man in this chariot 50 days to get from Ethiopia to Jerusalem. 50 days. Count them. And now he's going back home. He's on his way back home. So, um, so what do we know about this man? Instantly, what do we know about this man? This man is a serious seeker of God. Would you not agree with that? I mean, you can't, honestly, it's hard to get people to think about sometimes. What if somebody had to walk, what if you had to walk from your house to church? That would, be, that would be enough of discouragement to keep some of us home. 
if you've got to walk two miles or five miles. This guy traveled 1,500 miles to worship at Jerusalem. Kind of puts things in perspective. By the way, he was lost. Is that right or wrong? He was not even saved. So he came this great distance, and he's reading the Bible. Now imagine that. you got a lost man who traveled 1,500 miles to go to church, and he's reading his Bible. And God got Philip right there where he was. So God, so God was working in the life of Philip. We agree with that. But God's also working in the life of this man, this, this man from Ethiopia. Wouldn't you agree with that? You know, the Bible says, no man seeketh after God. I don't think people on their own just seek after God. I mean, I, to me, this is just me thinking, maybe I'm wrong. To me, if you could find a man who would travel 1,500 miles in a chariot to go to church, and he's out in the desert reading his Bible... You've got a man that's interested in spiritual things. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think so too. You know why? Because God was preparing him. God was preparing him. And this is, we're getting now to really the lesson that I want to think about tonight. God was preparing a man to take the gospel to this person. And God was preparing a man to receive the gospel. From this person. And what I say is, I'm talking about the work of the Spirit. You know, if, if, if we're going to let God use us to witness to people, it's good for us to know that it's not our work. It's God's work. God cares about these people that are unsaved. God, God only has one tool to get the, the gospel to them. It's people like us. You're it. We're it. So... So how did, how did he respond? How did this rich man, this government employee, how did this man respond? Notice what it says in verse uh, 30. And Philip, notice this, Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah. So we know he's what? Reading it out loud. Right? He's not reading it to himself. He's reading it out loud Philip can hear him reading it, and Philip, and Philip asked the $64 question. Understandest thou what thou readest? Now, we talk about this sometimes, the importance of questions. Ta asking people questions. Jesus asked the woman at the well for water. You, you remember that? Asking people questions. And here... Philip asked a simple question. Do you, do you understand what you're reading? And, and here's his response in verse 31. And he said, how can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. So what does it tell you about this man? Not only does he a, have a spiritual interest, not only is he reading his Bible... I mean, reading is, he could have been reading anything, right? He's reading his scripture, reading the book of Isaiah. And when he was asked, do you understand what you're reading? His response was humble. He said, I can't, I need help. 
You know, it's amazing how often you ask people trying to probe into their spiritual condition and they won't really acknowledge that they need help. You know, I, I see it, I'm sure you see it sometimes. I see it a lot. I saw it this week, trying to, trying to probe into a person's life that's not saved. And, 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 all, and, and, I, and I can see, I can see things differently than he can see them. But I, to me, he's drowning. He's drowning in his sin. And I'm trying to ask questions. And he wants to act like he really has a close relationship to God. And it's clear that he doesn't. But this man's not like this. This man says, no, I need help. How can I? How can I understand this unless some man, except some man, should guide me? He was admitting that he needed help. He's very humble about it. So much so, as a matter of fact, in verse 31, that he said, come on up here and get in here with me. Come ride with me. Let's go for a ride. We'll ride along and you can talk to me. And, and uh, so we have, this is, the, this is the first point that we've, kind of hit on pretty heavy, and that is the Holy Spirit's work in evangelism. Let me ask you a question. Just take a little survey, hypothetical kind of a survey. You don't have to answer it. It may not pertain to you. But as you look back, and as I look back on the things that brought me to the Lord, um, I, can, can you say, well, I can definitely see that God was working, maybe in your circumstances, maybe in your thinking processes. You could say God was definitely working in my life. Let me see your hands. Anybody like that? A lot of us, several of us, some of you can't. I'm telling you, I, I, can look, I didn't know it at the time, but I look back, I could clearly see that God was working in my circumstances and bringing me to the end of myself. And the interesting thing, and you've heard this story many, many times, while he was working in our lives, bringing us for the first time in my life to the place that I was willing to consider God. God was working in a woman's life that knew my wife who was urging us to get us to church. It's an amazing thing. And, you know, who could have thunk it? You know what? It's the work of God. This is the work of God. It's not just our work. It's the work of God. So we have this work of the Spirit. But the second thing, and I'm not going to talk about this much, but we also see here the message, the presentation of the gospel that Philip gave to this man. So the question was in verse 30, do you understand what you're reading? Verse 31, I need some help. I need some guidance. Now what was he reading? Look in verse 32. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And like a lamb, dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. Now this person described in verse 32, what were they saying about it? He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. He was like a lamb dumb before the shear. Uh, he was humiliated in verse 33. The last part of verse 33, his life is taken from the earth. He was killed. 
And then verse 34, And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this? Who's he talking about? Of himself or of some other man? Now we know where he was reading, right? One of the greatest Old Testament passages on the crucifixion of Christ. There is. Isn't that a coincidence? He's reading Isaiah chapter 53. It wasn't chapter 53 in those days, but we know it is Isaiah 53. And I want to turn to it quickly. Hold your finger here in Acts chapter 8. And go with me to the book of Isaiah. And what a great place for this seeker to be reading. And, you know, Philip could have said, well, you know, I don't really know much about the Old Testament could I take you to the Romans road? <laughs> there was no New Testament, right? So it's this or nothing. It's the Old Testament. It's the book of Isaiah. It's a great place. The verses he was reading from are in our Bibles in verse 7 and 8. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. He was killed because of the sins of people. Isn't that an interesting place that he was reading? This is the message that Philip had to, had to, got to explain to this seeker out there in the desert. If you're not familiar with Isaiah 53, I'd encourage you to mark that, be familiar with it. But let's just back up a few verses to verses that may be a little more familiar with you. Look in verse 3. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Isn't that a wonderful passage of Scripture? So let's go back to Isaiah, or Acts chapter 9, and Philip explains it to him. He asked in verse 34, excuse me, Acts chapter 8, verse 34, the man said, Who is a speak, who's a prophet speaking of, himself or some other man? Verse 35 then Philip opened his mouth and preached at, began at that same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. So he begins to explain who he's reading about. Here's a man out in the desert wanting to know God, a worshiper of God. But he doesn't understand. He doesn't understand how this, what this passage means. Who's Isaiah talking about? And Philip explained it. It says, it says in verse 35, he preached unto him Jesus. That's not preaching like I'm preaching, standing up with a pulpit. No, it's just he explained it to him. He gave him the gospel. He answered his questions. By the way, this is not always relevant. But I've, I've heard many people say, and, and sometimes I think... There's wisdom to this, but sometimes I think it's a, it's a mistake. Never answer questions. People are, if you're witnessing and people answer you, ask you questions, just avoid the question. Just don't, but sometimes people need answers to their questions. 
This man needed answers to his questions. He could have just avoided that whole thing, but he didn't do that. He gave him the answers. Now, please hear this. This is very important. We don't know how long this conversation lasted. That whole text that we've covered so far, you can read in about a minute and a half. But that doesn't mean the conversation lasted for a minute and a half. It could have lasted for hours. It probably did last for hours. You say, why do you even bother to say that? Because sometimes people think that just because it happened that quickly, that these automatically, you just read a couple of verses and lead them in a prayer. No, this guy had answers, and he's getting the answers from the Scripture, and he's explaining to this man. And, uh, and so no telling how long it lasted, but this man got saved. Amen? It says in verse um, 36... And as they went on their way, so they're, they're traveling, you know. They're probably traveling while he's explaining uh, Isaiah 53 to him. But, but either way, they're tra- they went on their way. They came into a certain water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Now there's a couple of things clearly implied in that passage. And one of them is this. Um, He had been taught about baptism, or he had heard about baptism, right? Why else would he think that? And so Philip has been probably teaching him, now that you're saved, you need to get baptized. Whatever he's doing, and Philip didn't bring up the water. Philip didn't say, Philip didn't stop the chariot and try to to talk him into getting the water. No, he said, here's water. Why can't I be baptized? Here's water. So one thing we see is he'd been taught about baptism. You have to believe that. Right? The second thing is, this man wanted to obey God. He wanted to identify with Christ. He he knew he was saved. He wanted to be baptized as an expression of his identity and his faith in Jesus Christ. He wanted to be. Something had happened in this man's life. Right? Right? Look with me if you would in verse 37. And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So Philip asked him basically for his testimony. When he said he wanted to be baptized, Philip said, Well, let's, let's just, let me ask you something. You know, tell me what happened to you. Tell me, you know, if you believe with all your heart. He didn't say... Did you just pray a prayer? No, he's putting it on him. Did you really believe? Put your faith and trust in. Have you, have you called on the Lord? And he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I mean, this guy, this, think about this guy. I mean, I, I've been studying this. I've read this many times. I'm excited about it tonight. This guy was, we don't know that he was a Hebrew. Maybe he was a Jewish proselyte. We don't know. We don't know how he heard about the Jewish religion in Ethiopia. You know, the Queen of Sheba came to, to, to visit Solomon to see if he could be really everything that she had heard that he was. That would have been in that same virtual area. And, uh, so maybe we, we don't know why, but he was going to Jerusalem to worship. And now he not only knows who the man in Isaiah 53 was talking about, but he knows his name is Jesus, right? 
And he knows that he's the Son of God. He knows he's the Messiah. He knows he's the Savior. And he said, I believe with all my heart. Amen. Look at your Bible there, if you would. This is just totally um, incidental. But for those of you who may have never noticed this, I'm going to read verses 36 to 38 from the NIV. You won't hear this often. Look in your Bible as I read. Verse 36, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. You notice anything missing? Notice a word missing or maybe a couple of words missing? Maybe a whole verse missing, right? By the way, was that, is that an important verse? Sure it is. Things that are different are not the same. Verse 39, or verse 38, And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he, was, and he baptized him. Now it doesn't tell us this, but I think it's safe to assume that he wasn't out there by himself in this chariot. This is, this is the secretary of the treasurer the man in charge of all the money for the queen. I'm sure there was an entourage with him, a group of people traveling. So not only did he get baptized, but he got baptized publicly in front of those that were around him. And uh, it's an exciting thing to read about. So he baptized him, verse 39, and when they were come up out of the water, to get scripturally baptized, you have to go down into the water, right? Come up out of the water. You come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip that the eunuch saw him no more and he the eunuch went on his way rejoicing he was a changed man he went on his way rejoicing isn't that good I mean nobody had to, you know Philip didn't have to stay with him I'm not, I'm not opposed to helping people on discipleship but he, Philip didn't have to stay with him and keep pumping him up and said okay now you got to keep acting like you're a happy Christian no he went on his way rejoicing you know, something had happened in his heart. Something had happened in his life. Amen. Verse 40, but Philip was found at Azotus. Azotus is, now he's gone from, now we've gone from Jerusalem up to Samaria, back down to Jerusalem, down to Gaza. Now you're going up north. Azotus is right on the Mediterranean Sea. And Philip was found as a, at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Caesarea is way up north on the Mediterranean Sea, uh, right on the sea. Matter of fact, it's a beautiful sea, seaport. We've been there. So, he, what is he doing? He's preaching the gospel. He just, Philip's just still taking the gospel to other people. So, tonight, let's think about this, and we'll close this up. Number one, God wants to use us as he did Philip. God wants to use us. If you're saved, God has people that he wants you to witness to. Maybe at work, maybe in your neighborhood, people at the gym, people where you shop. God wants to use us. The same Holy Spirit that indwelt 
Philip indwells us. That's why, that's why you could not overemphasize this fact. We need to be not just Christians, but spirit-filled Christians. Christians that the Spirit of God can lead. Christians that the Spirit of God can use. He, he's with us. He, with, this is His work. I was thinking a little while ago about that passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 where, it's, where Paul said, some plant, some water, God gives the increase. We're just His servants. Some plant, some water, God gives the increase. And then it says this, we are laborers together, what? With God. This is God's work. This is God's work. God wants to use us. Not, so we, we can believe that God wants to work in us. Then the second thought is, the second lesson is, the Holy Spirit, no doubt, is working in the lives of other people. Just like He was. I believe that with all of my heart. He's convicting people. Maybe He's getting people in a place where they're open. Maybe they're like this. This guy was a religious man. Would you agree with that? A devout, you travel 1,500 miles to go to worship, I think you're pretty religious. He's pretty serious about his religion, but he's not saved. And we sometimes think, well, religious people are hard to win, and sometimes they are, but God can work in their life. God can convict them. God can trouble them and bring them to the end of themselves. And there's no doubt that there are people in our, in our circle, in our world of influence, that are seeking. They're, they're probably curious. They don't know what they're looking for, but, but they're probably interested. And, and we learn this from this lesson. It's not our job to push someone into a decision. It's our job to guide them. How can I, some man should guide me? We're, we're there to help guide them. We're not, I can remember many years ago when I was first learning about witnessing and and trying to win people to the Lord, I felt like it was my job to sort of talk them into it. It was my job, you know, to be so convincing that they couldn't say no. And, it was, and I want to be convincing, and I want to be compelling, but, it's, but people, people don't like being pushed. People don't re resist being helped, but they resent being pressured. Our job is not to pressure people. Our, our job is to help them. And this man recognized he needed guidance. He needed help. And it's our privilege to guide people. And so it may be that we'll just plant a seed and somebody else can follow up. It may be we plant a seed and then we follow up. Sometimes it takes time, right? We don't know how long, but sometimes it takes time. But the good news is the Spirit of God will work in us and the Spirit of God is working in others. And I would, just, I would just encourage us all to think, just look for people that, that maybe God is working in their life, but don't give up on someone just because they said no. I've got several people right now that I'm working on. I've been to them, I've talked to them, I've invited them, you know, offered to have Bible study. You, just, you can't be pushy, but just keep being there for them. Maybe God's working. He's going to get them to the place till they really want the gospel. Amen? Just imagine, what if just this many people right here, if God would just use this group of people right here to walk in the Spirit, ask God to lead us, and it doesn't have to be on Sunday or 
visitation day, although I'd encourage you to come out on Saturdays and have a day to go in the community. It doesn't have to be that. It could just be as you're going through your... What if you're taking your kids to the park and your kids are playing on the equipment and some ladies nearby with a stroller and you're thinking, maybe God has her here so I can talk to her. That's the way stuff happens, right? That's how things happen. Great story, isn't it? It's a great book. Isn't this a great book? I never get tired of it. Amen. Would you do this tonight? Two, two things I want to think about. Number one, and I, I, keep, I say this almost every service, and I don't do it for any other reason than because I'm concerned. There, there, no doubt there are people here tonight that aren't saved. What are you waiting on? I mean, what are you waiting on to give your life to the Lord and trust in Christ? If I, if I was sitting here tonight and I thought I was saved and I see this man who, who, who got saved and was happy about it and wanted to obey God, and I'd think, man, why isn't that true for me? Why? I don't tell you, salvation changes a person's life. Amen. Right? So if you're not saved, you ought to get saved. You ought to come to the Lord. And then second of all, if you are saved, let's just say tonight, let's spend a few moments of this invitation time just saying, God, I, wanna, I want you to use me. And it starts like Philip with being spiritually minded people. Not just spiritual when we come to church, spiritual when we get up tomorrow morning, Thursday morning. Get up with a mindset, God, I want to spend time with you and I want to be available to you all day. And I just want you to use me today, guide me, help me to witness to somebody. That's the way we ought to think, right?